talk about imposter syndrome. I'm now working with millionaire investors on a daily basis, you know, on our joint venture program, mm -hmm. trying to coordinate, you know, different deals and do this stuff. And it's like, what do I know? <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm having to tell them this isn't a deal and, you know, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So um, the whole fake it till you make it thing is huge, you know. And then here we are almost nine months later. We've done over a million dollars in revenue last year. Um, our friends with benefits program. That was like almost 50 percent of our deals last year. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. We've had a little bit of, of a break with the holidays. We are super pumped to be back and we are super pumped to have our friend, our buddy, Connor McGuire with the Home Helpers Group. Connor, how are you doing this morning, my good, man? Good, good. Just uh, trying to get some more... Um some events going and some more consistency in the uh, community out here, right? Because we, we have these events going, but it's not very consistent and uh, nobody's really making that happen. So it's, I think we need to make that happen because I like spending time with you guys. So we need to have more of these events, more of these social socializations going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the podcast has been cool for us. I feel like we haven't noticed it as much because every week we either have somebody in or we are planning the next podcast to have somebody in. So right. maybe it's time to start a podcast, bro. Yeah. You know, I was actually thinking about that, um, starting a podcast. I actually have a, this will be the first time I announce it and I haven't talked to you guys about it, but um, I want to talk to a couple of you guys about it. What I want to do, have you guys ever heard of uh, Robert Kiyosaki's game, uh, Cashflow? So Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he mm -hmm. has a board game called Cashflow. It's like a real life monopoly um, where, you know, it's a rat race circle. And the whole point of the game is you get off the rat race onto the other track and you choose a dream at the beginning of the game and you have to buy your dream. And that's how you win the game. Right. And it has all like real life financial principles. Well, um, what I want to do and me and Dean talked about it is get all of you guys, Dean, Strat, uh, Jason, you guys all together some night and uh, have you guys all play that. And, and see record what it and see what happens dude you know there we go that's hey. content that you can split up for weeks you know <laughs> it's some mr b stuff right there <laughs> hey, why not, right? um well shoot dude we wanted to have you in because obviously you're tied in with the home helpers group you guys have been super impactful in the valley right and we kind of wanted to have you share your younger guy like us share how you got into the business a little bit Absolutely. about um the acquisition side that you guys are doing what you're seeing in the market um, and just general thoughts for younger investors who are getting started right now. Absolutely. I would say the way that I got into real estate is, you know, definitely unconventional. I was raised in it. It's a real, it's like a religion to me. It's, it's one of my core values. You know, we were talking about passive income and all of that before the podcast and, uh, passive income is such an important aspect of financial freedom, even though it's, you know, not passive, it's a lot more passive than a nine to five. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more security that comes from real estate, especially because, you know, I think it's a Mark Twain quote, buy real estate, they're not making any more of it. You know, it's the ultimate supply and demand. So um, real estate's just always been kind of a core value of mine. Um, so when I started getting into real estate, I just, I, I kind of had the misconception that everybody has when in the beginning is like, you need money to start buying real estate. I don't yeah. know why. Um, but once I realized, I actually went to a Henry Washington meetup, um, I think it was last March. 
Mm-hmm. And I went to that meetup and after kind of realizing, cause that's his whole thing is you don't need any money to start. You can find people to fund it. I was like, Oh damn, that's a good idea. So a mix of that and understanding how real estate works, I kind of was like, this is your moral obligation to invest in real estate and create rentals for everybody else. Because as everybody knows, there's not enough places to live in California, right? Like I know probably 10 different people that are trying to find a place to live right now, right? And they can't find an apartment. They can't find a house to live. um, And they don't know how to buy a house because they don't have two years of income to show steady or they don't, you know what I mean? They don't have it. So it's kind of a moral obligation if you understand how to become a landlord to become a landlord, right? Um, Because otherwise, where the house is going to come from? Where are people going to live? So because of that, I decided to start looking into it. I actually found a pre-foreclosure that um, was, you know, a week out from auction. And we stopped the auction, got it postponed 30 days, bought the house off of them, was able to give them, I think it was 10 grand um, on top. So I bought for a total of 226,000. At the time, the ARV was 360. Um, So it's a pretty good purchase right there. It's a five bedroom, 2000 square foot rented out all the bedrooms. Um, I live in one of the rooms now, so I get to depreciate the rest of the house and I get a, you know, I'm paying the mortgage with the rooms being rented out and I'm providing a place for someone to live for five people or four people, you know? So that's how I got into real estate. And that's the reason I love real estate so much is it's the it's the providing and it's uh you know at the end of the day people can get mad about oh you're buying up houses and you're doing this and that but at the end of the day that house would have just been rotting on the corner anyway that's i think and that's an interesting point that i don't think we've dove into too much i know we've talked about it before but kind of like that stigma for investors or you know people who buy properties uh landlords stuff yep. like that like oh you're taking up all the housing you're um you know you're taking a house away from somebody else right but especially for um at least i i know our group good group of investors here in the central valley especially you know for the people who are flipping right it uh, our purpose is you know to revitalize those neighborhoods right revitalize those homes and then turn them around and not only increase the property values of the neighborhood but also turn around and uh, open up a basically a brand new updated inside, you know, house for a family to come in and now live in. Right. And the money's money's a part of it. Right. But being able to revitalize neighborhoods like that. Otherwise, like you said, the house is just going to be sitting there looking like a dump bringing down, like not doing anything for the neighborhood and being an eyesore for everybody. Right. Right. You know, money's a part of it, but at the same time, you need the money to be able to do the projects. You know what I mean? It's like, if if you don't have, so I actually have a really fa- uh, favorite story of mine that uh, describes this. So you know how in the foothills around here, we have those giant rocks and boulders everywhere. Um, we had uh, bought a ranch and uh, when we bought the ranch, some guy, old farmer told us, hey, you might be able to get some money from those rocks. And we were like, what do you mean? Um, apparently his ranch, this guy came, a landscaper came and said, Hey, can I look at your rocks? I might want to buy some. And he said, yeah, go ahead. Like, why, why would you want to buy some rocks? And he looks at him, he starts talking to me, he goes, Oh yeah, I'll buy this one for, you know, I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And he was like, what the hell? And he goes, well, it's Melinda Gates yard. Melinda Gates wanted this boulder for her yard. So she had this landscaper, right? She spent $2 million transporting this boulder from the foothills all the way to Malibu. Right. And you go, why would someone waste that much money? 
but she didn't waste that money. She created $2 million worth of jobs for a boulder. I hear what you're saying. That's an interesting concept. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if, if there wasn't somebody that could waste $2 million on a boulder, all those people would be out of job. Yeah, they, providing value to the community around you. Talk to us a little bit. You brushed through a lot of stuff right on that intro. I kind of want to jump back in because a lot of people, like me and Cade, didn't really know about real estate growing up. We didn't really spend a lot of time. And we learned about it a little bit later in our education. I was even later than Cade. I like stumbled into it. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you even know to look for a house on pre-foreclosure? So when it came to... I actually got lucky with that situation. I knew the person that was in a pre-foreclosure situation. And I didn't look at it as for looking for a property in pre-foreclosure. I looked at it more as looking to solve people's problems with distressed properties. So this was somebody you knew personally and you saved their loan. Mm -hmm. And this is the power of social media, right? Talking about what you do as much as you possibly can so that that way if somebody's in a situation that you could help them out and you could benefit too, as Pace Morbid would say, find their bunnies. Um, for this specific situation, one of the bunnies was actually their daughter lived in the property and she, they didn't want her to have to find a new place to live. So now she rents one of the rooms for me, from me. And that was part of the reason they sold me the property. Um, so for me, the, reason, the, the way I was able to find the property was just through constantly talking about, hey, I'm in real estate, hey, I'm in real estate. Um, I invest, I invest, I'm looking for distressed properties. If you have a problem situation, call me, that kind of thing. And uh, it worked out. So you favor. you were posting on social media that you're a real estate investor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you time. were putting that out there. Absolutely. And then the, the Absolutely. first deal came. Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot to be said about oh, yeah. uh, putting it out there and saying that you're an investor, even if you don't fully believe it yet. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing that realtors do, right? So I actually was initially going to try to become a realtor. I took all my courses, everything. I was you know, ready to mm. take my test. Um, and then I got into investing and now I'm kind of, I'm still might get my license down the line, but you know, everybody always talks about like, should you, is it worth it? Is it worth it for the liability reasons? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has a different opinion on that, but, um, Originally, I was trying to be a realtor, and I was on uh, uh, Robin Graham's team. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, I'm sorry, Robin Eisenhower. Excuse me. Um, Robin Eisenhower's team down in Visalia. And that's the same thing that realtors do when they're starting out. They just constantly talk, I'm a real estate, and yeah, I'm a realtor, I'm a realtor. Look at this listing I have. It's not their listing. It's, you know, you're just constantly throwing it out there because at the end of the day, you're not really lying. You know what I mean? You're just throwing it out there in a way that, you know, maybe they don't understand the full truth, but you're not lying. I am a real estate investor. Just haven't bought a house yet. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So you are an investor. Um, and technically you could argue that you're a real estate investor because you're in the real estate industry and you're investing in the, your time into doing it. So it's like, I'm, I'm a real estate investor. I'm investing in real estate. Um, I'm not getting paid to invest all of this. It's, yeah. you know, it's in the outcome. So it reminds me of something Jason <clears throat> has said a lot. One of our mentors and another investor um, that you you just got to kind of bootstrap it in the beginning, dude. Like you, yes, you. I mean, you can feel maybe some of that imposter syndrome, right? Like, hey, I haven't done my first deal, but here I. You've got to get the word out. You've got you've you've got to bootstrap it. You've got to find a way to get that first deal somehow, right? Otherwise, you're never gonna get your first deal and you're never going to cross that threshold. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and then that kind of ties into my uh, work with home helpers. You know, I started working with home helpers the day after that Henry Washington meetup. 
Really? Yeah. So I met Dean at the Henry Washington meetup, texted him the next day and said, you know, hey, if you have any shadowing experience or, you know, opportunities, let me know. Um, I'd love to, you know, learn more. And uh, we had like a phone call for about an hour and he hired me. So, um, you know, he hired me for the position, business developer and uh, lead of Friends with Benefits program, which is our joint venture program. So talk about imposter syndrome. I'm now working with millionaire investors on a daily basis, you know, on our joint venture program, mm -hmm. trying to coordinate, you know, different deals and do this stuff. And it's like, what do I know? <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm having to tell them this isn't a deal and you know, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So, um, the whole fake it till you make it thing is huge, you know? And then here we are almost nine months later, we've done over a million dollars in revenue last year, um, on the friends with benefits program. That was like almost 50% of our deals last year. Um, so, it's going well and it's just fake until you make it, you know, dude, two things right there to recap too, especially because I'm thinking from a perspective of a new investor, right? Absolutely. What, what can a new investor be doing or somebody who wants to, you know, get into real estate or do their first deal? One, what every, almost everybody says you should do when buying your first property, figure out a way to house hack. So boom, because you were putting the word out, because you tell people that you buy properties that you're a real estate investor, right? I mean, you, you call it, you said, you know, it was luck, right? It which, is. which luck, you know, always sprinkled in a part of it. Right. But always. all of the things that we do help align those situations. Right. So yeah. all of your, you know, content you were putting out, all of the messages you were sending out, right. That Absolutely. didn't come across or, or drop into your lap by accident. Right. No. And then boom, opportunity, there you are house hacking, renting out four other rooms in there, paying the mortgage, bringing it in. Right. And, you know, going back to the young investor part, house hacking is so important because, you know, I, I remember I used to be a videographer actually, just like, you know, this guy over here. Um, and I worked for music festival companies. I was, you know, right around here, you know, Kalen events, all those guys around here that throw those big EDM events. I used to help them out. And, uh, a big, uh, YouTuber that's a videographer guy, he was talking about how do you make a career as videography, as a creative, and one of the keys is uh, lowering your cost of living as much as you possibly can, right, as a contractor, because now you're investing in yourself. You're running a business, you have to invest a lot of that. And it's hard to live on a, a high-end lifestyle when you're investing all your money into a business. Um, so when you house hack, that's huge, right? So I had a $1,200 a month rent payment before I've, you know, bought that house. Now I have zero. Right. You're making money. I'm making 12 and I'm making money. Yeah. I'm making so like $300 a, a month and you so, own the asset. So that was a $1,500 chest swing. Move. Yeah. No, that's amazing. You see what I'm saying? So it, that's why house hacking is so important at a young age. Um, especially if you don't have a wife and kids and you know, you're not doing that whole thing and you can afford to do it, do it. I, Let I me even elaborate on that. I'm married. Mm-hmm. I can afford my house. Right. We have dual income, but I still have a roommate because at not. the end of the day, it's a sacrifice to live with somebody that you're not married to and somebody you're married to. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, I was looking at Jake. Uh, <laughs> no, but at the end of the day, it's if you're making 600 bucks a month plus half of your utilities or a third of your utilities and all that, just like you said, I mean, no matter what, even if I can afford it, if I'm comfortable with having that roommate, that savings is just allowing me to do other things, you know? And Absolutely. I think too many young people 
spend too much time trying to spend money in the wrong places. They try to be flashy with their phone or go to the, you their know, BMWs. The, yeah. Where, drive their BMWs or, you know, wear their Lululemons, uh, <laughs> you know, but Patagonia. Exactly. But at the end of North face, don't even talk. But at the end of the day, you're making a good point that if you're a newer investor, a house hacking thing, if you can lower your cost of your actual house, I mean, that's one of the easiest ways to save money. Absolutely. You know, um, that's huge. I think that's huge is, is trying to save money in every way you possibly can. You know, it's the whole Warren Buffett thing and everybody always talks about it, but it's big in the beginning. You know, once you get to Jason's point, you can drive a Porsche, <laughs> you know, it's no problem. You get to Dean's point, you can have a, a Sprinter van and, you know, drive everywhere and then live in San Diego. But um, in the beginning, I think you just need to invest all the capital you possibly can until you have that passive income coming in that you can live off of and you can just be like, hey, you know, this is money just coming in every month. I don't have to work off this. But your income you have to work for should just 100% always be invested, in my opinion. Um, and you know, going back to like the whole phone thing, I have a brand new phone, but the reason I have a brand new phone is because of the camera on it, right, for content. So it makes me money, right? Every time you make a purchase, you should go, how is this gonna make me money? If it's not gonna make you any money, it's probably not a good purchase, you know? Um, so is it a little bit of a justification? Yes, but at the end of the day, it's uh, rooted in some good concepts, I think. Some yeah. Fundamentals. Yeah. Okay, so you, I mean, you shared with us how you kind of got into home helpers, how you've gotten into real estate. The thing that we didn't touch on a lot was that you went to Dean and you mentioned you you asked about shadowing positions, right? So you were looking to work for free Absolutely. and just learn, and just learn. Absolutely, that's an important thing. I think a lot of people ask for the wage and then the learning on top of it. And it sounds like you already valued the education as your pay. I, I valued the education as your pay, and uh, to be honest with you. If you really wanted to look into, you know, um, my pay currently with home helpers, the value that I get from home helpers isn't the money, right? Because I do get a cut of, you know, the deals that I close and everything, um, but it's a very low base pay. It's not like I'm getting, you know, $200,000 a year salary or something. Uh, that's not the case at all. It's a very low base pay. It's mostly commission based. Um, and the real value comes from the connections, the education, um, the experience, you know, I've, I've been involved in. You know, we closed close to 10 deals a month, close to 10, 15 deals. It was in the peak of last year. It was closer to 15 deals a month. So uh, I'm witnessing those deals close on a you know, regular basis and seeing how that's all done. And I'm probably fast forwarded five years as an investor just mm -hmm. by working with home helpers and um, everything. I mean, for perfect example, we just had that event with Pace Morby and everything. Um, and afterwards, I was at the dinner with them. And I'm sitting in a room with maybe four or five hundred millionaires. Pace bought $128 million in real estate last year, right? Um, you know, and then Jamil, he's on that same level. And then the guy that just sold the Finance of America, he was in there as well. That's RCN Capital. Um, so, you know, I'm 22 years old. I'm in a room with guys that have unspeakable money. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, they're definitely that's the successful. Value. That's the value that I'm getting paid from um, Home Helpers Group. And I would recommend any investor that, isn't already full swing in their own investing business, right? Like, so I wouldn't recommend someone who has five wholesale deals under their belt and has already made 50 grand the past three months to go work for a company, right? Because you're not going to make that. You're going to make a cut of that. It's going to, you know, it, for doing the same amount of work, if not more. Um, and, you know, that's not the benefit. But if you know nothing about real estate and you're just trying to learn as much as possible and kind of try to get that, that fast track, I would highly recommend working for an investment group or a you know investment company. 
Well, and it's that, it's that exactly what you did, right? Absolutely. I mean, you won. The first thing was even showing up to the networking event, right? Showing up Huge. to the mastermind, which is Huge. the very first thing we tell everybody to go out, network, absorb information, meet other investors, meet other people who are doing what you want to be doing. And then two, not being afraid. I mean, I, I'm sure you could have been or may have been afraid of rejection, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, not being, but still having the confidence to reach out to some of these other high level investors who run high level companies and being like, Hey, how can I provide value to you? Do, are, do you have a need in your business right now that I can fit that way I can come in and help you with some sort of your problems and absorb all the information? Absolutely. You know, and that's a perfect segue into, you know, the acquisition side, right? Because that is the exact same conversation and exact same tactics you're using on a seller. It's the same thing. You're, you're approaching it with what value can I you know, give to you and how can we both win in this situation? And if there's nothing that can happen, I'm okay with it. There's no problem, there's nothing off my back. You know, it's, it's good, I'm not worried about it because nobody likes a needy person, right? Everybody talks about these energy vampires. What is an energy vampire? It's someone that wants something, right? And everybody can feel that when somebody wants something from you. So if you're approaching it like, Hey, all I want to do is help and make sure that we have a good, you know, connection at the end of this. There's always a deal to be had. There's always something that can happen because if the deal doesn't work out with that deal, maybe they'll let, you know, their sister know about you. And, you know, two weeks from now you get a phone call and says, Hey, I have this deal. You know, my sister's trying to sell their house. We've had this one guy send us three or four houses because we bought his house, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So that's, that's huge. I think you, you should approach everybody from that place of how can I give value to you? Um, you know, and same with our friends with benefits program. Uh, I, I don't really ask for deals as much as I just take people to lunch and, you know, go talk to them and say like, you know, like, what can I do for you? And if they have a deal that they need to help running numbers on, they send it over to me. I run the numbers and they go, you know, I don't really, I can't really dispo this. It's not in my area. Then we start working on it. We try to get it dispo for them and we joint venture it. Or, you know, they go, Hey, I kind of want to take this down as a flip, but I don't have any capital right now okay, well, we'll fund it and we'll do the project with you and, you know, we'll joint venture on it. Um, so I say, I think always approaching from that place of giving value, trying to find their bunnies, like Pace would say, um, is, is the most important thing when it comes to acquisitions, negotiation on any side. And the same goes for trying to learn or find a mentor, you know, um, Strat most famously said, I'm sure everybody's seen the video. I love it is, uh, don't, I think he said, don't fucking ask me to pick my brain. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't, don't say, uh-huh. can I pick your brain? Cause everybody's saying that it's just jargon. It's not, you're not asking anything. You're just repeating something you heard somebody else say. Um, so try to give value, say, Hey, can I shadow? Can I do some work with you? Can I bring you some leads? Like try to get something going. Can I do some driving for dollars for you? You know, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, in exchange for some, uh, tips on running numbers or, you know, anything. Um, that's the way to go. Yeah. That's definitely the way to go. I've never heard the term energy vampire, but I like it. We were just talking, we were having a similar conversation yesterday about just like the abundance of deals. And we were saying whether it's, you know, whenever, whatever business you're dealing in, right. Whether it's meeting with the seller or when you have that, you know, call it commission breath, call it whatever it is. When you have that energy with you, where you, you need that deal that the seller is going to pick up on that energy. You're going to come across as desperate, right? And it can be a hard mindset shift for 
a lot of people, especially for people who have not been, you know, surrounded by the people we are surrounded with, right? The abundance mindset is a hard mindset shift. And it, really it can be a struggle for new investors in the beginning. But I think what you said, really you know, is. hitting the nail on the head that that figuring out a way to provide value and find a way to a win-win solution, uh, knowing that there are an abundance of deals out there for everybody right. is extremely important. Right. I think one of the biggest roadblocks to the whole abundance mindset issue is people's perspective on what a lot of money is. I think that's a big issue, right? Because when you're scrapping for rent every month, $2,000 is a lot of money to you, right? And we all know in real estate, that's not a lot of money at all, right? Um, you know, that's one of the best advice that Pace gave me um, during that dinner was I said, you know, I said exactly what I told him. I'm a 22-year-old in a room full of, you know, 100 billionaires. What advice could you give me perspective-wise? And he said two things. $100,000 is not a lot of money, and a million dollars a month is completely possible. Once you put that into perspective, the people are out there that are making a million dollars a month, you go, there's plenty of deals because I'm still getting deals and that guy's still getting deals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then Pace bought $128 million worth of real estate last year. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about some stuff too about, uh, obviously you're seeing a lot of deals going through, uh, sharing kind of some of the things that we've all learned to help some of these guys. I know if you're new, it feels like that million dollars a month seems ridiculously far away and i think anybody uh that listens to our podcast would be pumped to even be making two thousand dollars a month from real estate so talk i mean you guys see a lot of deals going through can you share any insights on how you guys are running your numbers absolutely so when it comes to running numbers um the way we run our numbers is we get our ARV, right? And that's the typical way that anybody runs comps, but we're taking 10% off and we're only doing comps within the past like two to three months. Actually, really two months. So can you describe how you're getting your ARV? So you're saying in the last two, you only look at sales- For the past two months. This episode's being recorded in December. Uh, so you'd be right. looking like October, November, at the latest September? Yes, yeah, so probably, October is kind of, yeah, maybe September, but really October is where we're kind of sticking. Um, and we're taking 10% off those comps, right? Because we're accounting for, you know, three months of holding um, for the ARV to go down. So, And you guys are looking at solds, actives, and pendings, still including yep. all of those? Right. And hmm. uh, I, even then, I would say most investors on the wholesaling side are probably even being more conservative than that. They're probably running at 15%. Um, so we're doing that right off the bat. So that's what we do for ARV is we, we, we take the comps from October, uh, to December and, um, take 10% off of the, the comps just right off the bat. And then for, uh, numbers after that, we do ARV minus 20% for 10% for investor profit and 10% for closing costs on both ends. Um, and then we minus repairs, which we run on a, 25, 35, or $45 square foot basis. Um, and then maybe, you know, add 10 grand for an AC or a roof or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. just estimate. Um, minus repairs after that 20%. Um, and then that's going to be typically around our dispo price is right there, right? So that's what we can wholesale it for. So then, you know, back that down 20, $30,000, yeah. right? Um, 
typically lately, I've actually been, you know, working my numbers in for around thirty-five dollars to $45,000 profit on the wholesale side. So that way we have enough room to back all the way down to 5000 if, you know, someone offers us um, something lower just because of the way that the market is. Um, now that depends on the deal. If it's a, you know, $200,000 ARV, I'm not doing accounting for that much. You know, I'm still accounting for a $10,000 uh, wholesale assignment fee or something mm-hmm. like that. But, um, that's how we run numbers. So it's just ARV minus 20% minus uh, repair costs and then minus our profit. Hmm. Um, so that's just an idea of where we run numbers. As far as what deals I say I see going through the most right now, our creative finance are huge right now. Um, everybody's buying creative finance deals because on paper it makes just absolute sense. You're you know investing very little capital. You're paying almost zero interest if you're ideally you're not paying any interest on a a creative finance deal and your tenants are it's all principal reduction so you might cash flow only you know two hundred dollars a month or whatever it is but realistically you're gaining the entire rent and equity the entire time because it's seller financed it's not an interest payment Mm -hmm. you're not you have no interest it's all principal reduction um so are you guys wholesaling creative finance or are you buying them both so we'll do both um, if it's an area that we don't want to deal with management wise, um, we'll wholesale it. Um, I know Stratton is buying like crazy as well. Um, I know everybody is, everybody wants to create a finance deal right now. It just depends what your market. Um, and, uh, you know, it, do you have, are you spread too thin at the time? You know, that's always a, a, a problem. So creative finance is used and on market. I have probably three or four guys that all they do is look at on market deals. That's all they do. And so you're wholesaling with car forms. Um, yeah. And when you get involved with an on market deal, have you found that to be more difficult? No, not really. Um, I mean, you, you kind of have the exact same issues that you would have with any other deal. Uh, I would say the only struggles that come with on market deals are there's probably a little bit more negotiation, um, when it comes to terms, right. When it comes to the, uh, uh, inspection period and you know all those kind of things there's a little bit more negotiation if it's a good realtor you know what i mean but a lot of times it's a realtor that's just like i want to get rid of this fucking listing it's been on there for three months i'm sick of it it's making me look bad that's terrible um, to hear yeah any pushback when you're dealing with this on market stuff with the like the actual assignment fee because are you flipping the stuff on market no we're, we're assigning them so the answer is yes and no the the reason is yes is because so it's the answer is yes and no because yes we get feedback sometimes but we also have companies that do separate huds so it doesn't matter sometimes so there's there's some escrow companies that'll do a separate hud for you so that you don't have to disclose it in the car form really yes i don't think that's legal i think it is um if you do it the right way because what you're doing is you technically the in the car form it still has the assignment clause but instead of it saying um instead of it saying to Connor McGuire and or assignees on the on the purchase line, it'll just say Connor McGuire, right? So in the contract, it still has the assignment clause, and that's why it's legal because it still has the assignment clause. And I'm not disagreeing with you on that. that. It's just, and the, I could be wrong. It's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a shady situation. Now we don't do that. We don't. We only work with Dana uh, Busamonte or uh, 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 Christy Kutka. Those are the only p- companies we do, and, I, and they don't really do separate HUDs. Um, I'm pretty sure. So we don't do that, but I do know of wholesalers that do on market deals and that's what they do is they have some companies that do separate huts for them. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and review it. Cause I think when we looked into it and we had a whole thing with Bill Jansen and all them, 
I thought it was, yes, the assignment clause is there, but it also mandates it's disclosed with any possible profits signed off by the seller. Could be wrong. I'm not an attorney, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not going to say what you're doing either. is yeah. necessarily I'm wrong. Doing it. Yeah, so I would say but, that I have no idea. I know that we don't put our name on it that way. We just handle the assignment side, right, on those mm-hmm. types of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually a kid out of L.A. that does those deals for us. Um, and uh, he he does a lot of deals like that where he does split HUDs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he has his uh, agents doing yeah. both sides of the transaction mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, but as far as on market deals, that's, you know, a lot of guys entire bread and butter right now. Yeah, for sure. Which is something that was non-existent a year ago, four months ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's six months ago, whatever. So you're, you guys are still seeing a lot of stuff. Um, I don't think we were planning on talking about a ton of creative finance, but I'm curious since you see a lot of deals, I mean, typically how much are you seeing people putting down and are they doing subject to, or, seller financing or can you explain a little bit about what you're seeing so that i would say that's the biggest difference between creative finance and a normal typical wholesale deal most wholesale deals can be just put into a template right where it's like simple break it down creative finance deal every single one's different right um uh pay said it the best at the event is you know there's a teeter-totter on one side's down payment and payment and interest and the other side's purchase price right so it's kind of that's the argument and the conversation you need to have with the seller is you know do you want a higher purchase price because that's building in the interest in the to the purchase price um and if you want a higher down payment the purchase price is going to go down right because you know it's less interest um so that's kind of the conversation you need to have typically mo- most of the deals i'm seeing are like 10 to 20 grand is ideal um once it gets above that it kind of gets less interesting um well and if you're putting 10 15 20 down might as well buy cash my well in my thought is if you guys are assigning that deal to another investor right what um and i'm curious how 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 do you place a value you know, on what that assignment fee should right. be if, you, if you're assigning a deal. If you're assigning a deal for uh, a creative finance deal and it's already ten or 15000 down, uh, is the assignment fee... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. How, how, how do you figure out that assignment fee? That's a good question. And honestly, I would probably have to tap Dean in on that one because um, he handles all of our dispo. Mm-hmm. Um, but my assumption would be you would treat it just like you would be dispoing a rental property. Um, and you would uh, you would kind of throw out the terms out there when you dispo it and explain right. the terms and say, you know, um, you'd probably just add your fee on top of that yeah. total purchase price and just put it, disclose it that it's your assignment fee. That 10 yeah. out of your 20,000 down is the is assignment, your assignment fee for the deal. Fee. Yeah. And I think you value it based off the value of the cash flow of yeah. the asset, right? Because you're, you're essentially finding, negotiating, and delivering a cash the flowing terms. asset. Yeah. Well, and it's not just a cash flowing asset like I was talking about earlier. It's principal reduction. That's the key. Especially if it's that's 0%. Percent. It's zero, yeah. It, it, if you're at no key. interest. Or, you know, 0 to 1%. It's, it's all principal reduction, which is huge, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, freaking at the end of that 10 years, you're going to be able to refinance and pay that property off and have a $200,000 cash out or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, it, it just just makes perfect sense to do creative finance. Now that being said, we're buying most of the creative finance deals that we come across. That makes sense. Yeah, we're buying most of them because uh, we have a close to a, a ten figure rental portfolio right now. So we're trying to get that up there. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. Did I say ten figure? I don't think that was accurate. That'd be a hundred million. No, I, I'm sorry. Eight figure. <laughs> 
So it's close to 10 million. That's still a, the yeah. big portfolio, but a hundred million would be, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's an that's amazing Morby level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, well, I mean, I grant Cardone <laughs> gotten a lot of the answers I was looking for in this podcast. I think yeah. it's hard to, to think of other questions. Cause you, you shared a lot, especially for new people who are looking like in that first one to nine months. Absolutely. I would say if you're that new person within the one, uh, the next one to nine months, you're trying to find a deal, go, wholeheartedly on the MLS and on market deals and just go ham and trying to get realtors, um, cold calling realtors, because at the end of the day, you can cold call all you want, but that call is only going to end in one deal, right? Yeah. You cold call realtors and you talk to realtors about finding you deals. That one realtor could end up bringing you 10 deals throughout this next year. So if you're just going your entire spending all your time on MLS deals and deals that have been on the market for 90 days or more and um, are overpriced and learn about creative finance because those are people, those are perfect candidates for creative finance because they want that higher purchase price. They have an emotional value to their house that they can't, there's a reason they haven't sold their house yet, right? They've gotten plenty of offers, but they're not selling it because they want that price. So give them that price on terms, right? Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest secret in acquisitions for the next year honestly dude well thank you bro for coming on and dropping all this knowledge if you wouldn't mind what i think would be very helpful is you we had dean on a little while ago and he explained it a little bit but can you shout out your guys's friends with benefits program what it does why it's beneficial not only to the brand new investor but also investors like us who already do have deals under under our belt and are still bringing stuff to you guys how many friends with benefits deals have we closed with you guys like two or three couple yeah, yeah i've, I've got one or two done yeah one or two done yeah oh, no, i've no, gotten at least two this year yeah we did that milatopis one recently i know that milpitas and milpitas that's what it was milpitas and bakersfield and were bakersfield. in the last six months yep yep those two um so our friends with benefits program is exactly what it sounds like it's just you know conversations like this and going to lunch going you know phone calls i'm on the phone from 7 a.m till 7 at night just talking to uh, investors and everything i'm sure my phone's blowing up right now um giving advice just like you know you guys are asking me the questions right now and uh giving as much value as we possibly can because when those investors need a deal dispoed because it's not in their market or anything we can also help them with that and then what we do is just a 50 50 split even if we do most of the work as long as it's a qualified lead um and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it can be anywhere from, hey, this guy wants to sell his house. Here's the numbers. I think it's a deal to, hey, I have this under contract. I just don't have a buyer and uh, we'll do the deal with you. And we even will do, you know, like I said, flips. If somebody has a flip and they're just like, hey, I just don't have the capital to do this flip. Um, we'll partner with them on that the skill set. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. We're, we're kind of the friends of benefits program is really <clears throat> giving our resources to as many people as possible um, so that we can, you know, lean into that abundance mindset that we were talking about. There's enough deals for everybody. Yeah. And if we give out the resources, not only are we helping people and giving back to the community, we're also helping ourselves because we're getting deals and there's less people that are uh, ill informed making offers that ruin our offers. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, this guy offered me. 
fifty grand more than you. Well, it's like, well, it's because he didn't run numbers right. You know, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, he doesn't know <laughs> what he's doing. So the more we educate, the more we help everybody, the more it, easier our job is, and uh, the more money everybody makes at the end of the day, right? Because that deal, we could be fighting over that deal, and then none of us got it because he doesn't have any buyers, and I offered way lower than <laughs> him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But instead, if we work together, we can both make half the money. Um, so. At the end of the day, it makes us a lot more money. Like I said, last year, almost half of our revenue came from joint ventures with yeah. other people. Um, and that was about a million dollars. So it's a, lot of, it's a lot of money made just from friendships, you know? So that's why we call it Friends with Benefits. Um, we give you guys a little t-shirt that says Friends with Benefits on the back and uh, one of these cups. Do you have a cup? Yeah. Okay, cool. I got it in my house. Yeah, yeah. So one of these cups, you get one of these cups. Um, and uh, we're going to be adding some more stuff slowly, you know, more incentives and everything. Uh, uh, you know, dinners and that sort of thing for the top producers in the program. Um, but overall, it's just kind of our way of helping the real estate community um, and spreading that abundance mindset. And where can people reach out to you? Where can people find you? What's the best way, uh, both for you personally, how can people reach out? And two, if somebody does have a qualified lead or does have a deal under contract, um, or anything in between where they want to bring it to you guys, what is the best way to Absolutely. get that to you? I would say the best way, the the best way, the fastest way you're gonna get a response is if you text me. If you text me at 559-799-8164, and you just text friendzone to 559-799-8164, um, then we'll just go from there. You know, you can send me a deal, I'll run ARV for you, we'll start talking about the deal. Um, and once it's qualified, then I can send it over to my acquisition team if it needs to be worked, if it's just a qualified lead, uh, if it's already under contract and uh, there's some problem solving that needs to be done, we'll solve the problems and then we'll send it over to Dispo and have it dispositioned and uh, go from there. Cool. Boom. Dude, Connor, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Spreading the wealth. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to have you come back on soon. Perfect. You shared yeah. a lot Anytime. of stuff and, and Dean's team, obviously you guys are doing a lot of stuff. Oh, so yeah. you're constantly on the, the forefront constantly. of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're constantly trying to learn as much as possible. That's true. It's, you guys are as well. I mean, you guys are at every event we go to. Yeah, we try <laughs> to be. Well, shoot. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll see you guys next week.